The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to another installment of Dugout Study Hall, remedial course in baseball stats and part of the Pitcher List Podcast Network. I'm your host and expert layman, Matt Goodwin, and I am joined, as always, by your fake baseball economist, Alexander Chase. Today, we're going to talk about how to react to small sample sizes without over or underdoing it, how to look at the first couple weeks of a baseball season, and some stats that can help you decide whether a performance is something new or just a hot or cold streak that will eventually even itself out. But before we get to all of that, Alexander, how are you, my friend? Hey, I'm not too bad. How about yourself? Uh, not too bad. I'm on vacation this week, so it's a, it's a nice little break, little uh, little change in the, the routine. Get to record this a little bit more in the daylight rather than the nighttime. I have my third location in three episodes <laughs> in the house <laughs> to record. So which, it, that's uh, what you mean by vacation? Just somewhere else in the house? Somewhere else in the house, yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it redefines staycation. It's just a different room of my existing house, which might make you think that my house is large, but it's actually the opposite. Um, so I think if you have a large house, you have a dedicated space that you can just always count on being there, right? When you have a, a small house. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Sometimes yeah. those nooks and crannies are taken up with other things or, you know, people who have to work from home. And uh, so finding new places to do to do the recording is... Uh, is paramount when uh when you know you got a tiny little box that you live in like i do uh i i'm sure that your expectations for like large and small are maybe a little bit different than for me uh, <laughs> so uh my girlfriend and i moved uh apartments within the same apartment complex actually here in dc um last year we moved from a studio to a one-bedroom apartment and let me tell you going from one room to, to two <laughs> huge jump yeah I can so imagine. much better um, yeah, it's not that small here, <laughs> but uh, for a, a suburban house, it's uh, and two little kids running around, it's um, it can feel a little tight. I think that it's gonna be a crunch when they're teenage girls. So, um, you know, if we're still doing this, then we'll get some real insight into what a a, uh, a bigger space than what you have, but not a not a necessarily <laughs> a bigger space, a big enough space for for four people all trying to use the same same stuff at the same time but anyway i digress i am i'm having a good week so far it's early on i've still got lots of my my break left so good mm -hmm. things i can i can focus on watching a lot of baseball which is pretty cool yes yes so uh that kind of brings us into the bell ringer for today and that is i was just going to ask you how how you're feeling about the start of the the season both in real baseball and in terms of your fantasy teams well um 
Shohei Otani is playing really well, so obviously everything's <laughs> going well because that's what all of my fantasy teams and real life hopes depend on. Um, <laughs> that's a lot I'm, of eggs in I'm one mostly, basket. I'm mostly over exaggerating there. I didn't get him in enough leagues, uh, but yeah, I know there's been a lot of fun things, it's a lot of dumb things, but a lot of fun yeah. things that have happened so far. Uh, for those of y'all who caught uh, the weird ending to the White Sox game where they should have had a double play to end the game. And instead, um, I believe it was Yasmani Grandal got hit in the back of the head. Uh, mm. And so the White Sox won. That's a fun one. Or, you know, <laughs> the Orioles blown save where they just didn't throw home when they should have. That was fun. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. A, lot of, a lot of really dumb things that have happened so far. A lot of weird lineup things. It's that sort of like, oh yeah, this is all chaos anyway feeling. Right. I feel like that coming back really just reminds me. It's like, all right. Oh yeah, and then I think Mike Trout's back at the top of the WAR leaderboard, so we know the season's actually started. Too. Yeah, that's so. the official beginning of the baseball season. <laughs> One thing you left out there that I thought was of particular note, um, and I'm sure it, you didn't leave it out because you didn't see it, was uh, Alec Bohm home plate gate. Um, oh, and uh, <laughs> yeah, the, uh, yeah I, I feel like I um, I I owe pretty much fans of 29 teams an apology for leaving that one out um, <laughs> yeah the atlanta braves got their uh got a little bit of uh of a jab in yesterday uh i don't know if you noticed or not on their social media acuna scored a run and, and they said hey acuna touches the plate and scores a run it was a very subtle jab but i, I appreciated it i appreciated like, that i promise i was not being bribed with free wawa to not talk about that <laughs> free wawa that'll get the job done it would. Um, it would all right so now now that you brought that up i have to i have to totally derail where i was headed with this and, and put it to you wawa or sheets um so sheets is not available to me uh okay. there is a well, wawa at my close metro station stop here in dc um the answer that we're really looking for here though is royal farms um <laughs> i'm going with the wild card <laughs> yeah yeah for those of y'all who are um you know in the uh, greater Baltimore area, met, uh, they are the correct answer here. They have like the best fast food fried chicken. And by that, I mean literally Food and Wine Magazine graded their fried chicken as like the best. Huh. Um, so that's it's pretty good. Yeah. Um, so that's I've never heard of that why. place. So I'm yeah, have, they're no, like mostly Maryland based. Yeah, definitely a reason I have to come down into the area and check it out. <laughs> um, all right. Let's uh let's move into our number of the week, uh, which for for this week's episode uh, is fifty six point seven percent. Have you checked it out in the rundown? Do you know what that is? Do you want to take a guess? I I unfortunately do know what the you do know is. what it is. Okay, so we can't yes. play the play the game. Maybe those people at home will give them a second to think about it. Fifty six point seven percent. Give you just a I, second. I have, I have a lot of. I have a follow-up question I should ask that when you reveal this that I think okay. is really important. Yeah, absolutely. All right, um, so I've given you all a chance to think. We uh, we uh, chit and chatted there a little bit, um, and and the answer is that is the increase of uh, uh, Stephen Matz being rostered in ESPN Fantasy. Uh, Stephen Matz, somebody who had a lot of helium coming up, who had a lot of struggles, and suddenly is now uh, blown up. So it kind of leads into our discussion of the day in terms of what do we believe and what do we don't believe. Uh, so I'll, I'll throw this over to you, Alexander. Do we believe this? Uh, the follow-up question I have for 56.7% of, I guess not of people, I'll be like, but at least people in 56.7% of ESPN leagues, I guess, whoever they are, <laughs> do, do you not like... 
have expectations coming into a season. Like, <laughs> how are we so easily fooled? Uh, and I think that's, like, always the case. So I, I've seen tons of, like, dudes who should not be dropped. Like, people have given up all faith right. really, really early on in the year. Um, I play in this, like, weird OBP slugging league, and Miguel got or Miguel Sano got dropped. Yeah. Um, he's, like, a $20 player in this league, and mm-hmm. he just went through, like, a five-game stretch where he struck out at basically his normal rate, he walked at basically his normal rate, and he just didn't hit two home runs, and that was enough to get dropped in this league. I'm like, it, he's not hurt. Yeah. Um, he's not lost his lineup spot the matt's thing in particular i guess we can talk about him you know it's the same sort of like general idea though right it's like are we expecting that suddenly steven matt's turned into someone else uh maybe he did yeah i'm pretty sure there are plenty of matt's fans who would tell us otherwise (laughs) right what what would be what you're looking for out of him in particular to suggest that there is something real going on here or whether it's just kind of noise in a very small sample size at the beginning of a, of a new baseball season. And we'll get into a lot of this stuff later on. Uh, I don't want to like, just like say everything that I have planned to say. Yeah, like, please don't. Ones, we have but... a whole episode. We got to, we got to <laughs> roll out here. <laughs> yeah. It, it, I would want to know that he has made some sort of choice though. And I think that's uh-huh. the big thing that, like, here in this first week or so, first two weeks, maybe three weeks, really, like, any time before we have enough data to really, like, just say that someone got better and has just improved subtly, is like, has he changed his mind on something? Right. Because that's the easiest thing to detect. So, has he? Well, is he throwing his pitch mix differently? Nope. Pretty much exactly the same as last year. Mm-hmm. Are they the same pitches? Yeah, pretty much. They're not moving any differently than they were last year. Mm-hmm. Uh so at that point, you're really scraping the barrel for like potential explanations on why Stephen Matz would suddenly go from a dude who, well, I'll, I'm going to rely on XERA here just because it's the thing in front of me. But, you know, like okay. at some point, they're, they're not that get different. This is a guy who, um, he had a 7.09 XERA last year. <laughs> just want to be really <laughs> ridiculous here. That is, of course, just like XWOBA scaled into ERA. So, you know, to just take yeah. all of the batting ball da- batted ball da- data and... Yeah, this is a guy who was striking out, you know, like a mid 20s percent of guys, but giving up like way more hard contact than you want to give up given his profile. And that's who he's always kind of been is like kind of a little bit in over his head for what he's trying to do. Yeah. Um, and, you know, here we are a week into the season. Um, his strikeout rate is up again and he's given up just a little bit less hard contact than he has traditionally given up. He'll probably regress a little bit. Mm-hmm. And he's still playing in the AL East where there are right, a lot right. of really good teams. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. He's also, I should say, a lefty in the AL East. Uh, the Yankees are full of righties. The um, the Orioles are full of righties. Mm-hmm. The uh, Red Sox are full of righties. Yeah. This isn't going to sustain itself. And, yeah, and yeah. that's the sort of thing is like, at some point, you just got to like be able to answer that question for yourself. What do I believe has changed? Why was I wrong before? And what do I know weeks now ago. I didn't know? Yeah. 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 Just two, two weeks, weeks ago. ago. <laughs> right. Uh, so what would you expect him to need to change for this to sustain? Because, I mean, the other, other side of this and the reason people get so caught up in it is that every year there does seem to be a handful of people who do something that works for them it's not necessarily demonstrably different right away 
um, but it works and it, it just kind of keeps working. And, and maybe it's a one-off year and, and maybe it's something that turns their careers around. Um, but what would be maybe one thing you'd look for out of Steven Matz as we continue to get data to have be able to move from the, is there a narrative to support this to what do the numbers say? Yeah, I'm just going to like talk about him just really quickly for people who don't know more than, oh yeah, that guy was kind of not good on the Mets for a while. Yeah. There's a whole lot of pitchers in the MLB. Uh, seems <laughs> like they true. really just cover some ground. <laughs> you know, he's a lefty. He throws a really hard sinker. Uh, lefties, I think you just should basically take two to three miles per hour off of your expectations for like how far, how hard a fastball should be thrown. So he's throwing 95 as a lefty, as a starter. Mm. That's really hard. Yeah. Um, but he throws a sinker, right? So it's just like, at best case, people don't swing at it and it gets called strikes. Medium case, people do swing at it and they're unsuccessful. And worst case, they just clobber it all the time. Right, right. So you would need his fastball to be doing something a little bit different. But he's got a lot of yellow on that thing. So you can hope for some good things there. And then he throws, you know, three secondaries. Um, none of them are truly, truly spectacular. Um, in some sort of way that kind of like make up for the fact that again he's a sinker baller, right? So like he's got some good pitches, um, and I just think that having four pitches is in general a good thing if you can do it. Um, I'm not going to speak to them individually, but like yeah, he's a dude who has some checks up his sleeve. There's a reason that he was so highly regarded, um, right? 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 So like yeah, maybe he tinkers with like where he's throwing some stuff in his own plot. Maybe he has a new catcher who like is calling games for him better. Uh, mm-hmm. I will not say that Wilson Ramos was a good catcher for the Mets <laughs> in a lot of different ways. He was good at batting. I don't think he was a very good catcher. So you could maybe think that, you know, someone else is going to change some stuff up. But, like, I don't think we would know any of those things just yet. Yeah, right, um, right. There's I don't want to think. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, this is kind of like where I'm going to land off of, like, the very last thing that I think is important to say. It's like, all right, now where can we go looking for some luck? He has like a 17% line drive rate so far. So opposing batters have been really unlucky against him. Mm -hmm. XERA is not going to know that. Right. right, So there you have it. And that's kind of what I was going to say is, is the, you know, kind of asking the opposite. Um, How is he able to do what he's doing? Uh, If nothing's different, uh, what makes him good for two games and then terrible for five and good for two games and terrible for five as he's kind of been throughout his career. Um, and and I think that you're what you're getting at is just luck. He's there's a couple of games where he'll string it together where the ball gets hit at people instead of by people, uh, that sort of thing. Maybe he does have his location or or something's biting just a little bit more uh, in a given day. Um, but uh, I think he's a good person to start this conversation with because uh, he's somebody that we we know we know was supposed to be the next big thing. Um, a lot of people invested heavily in him. He let a lot of people down in that regard, especially Dynasty. Um, and now all of a sudden he's in a new place and he's good. And I think that's part of what plays into this too, is that I think sometimes we all know we need to be looking for the reason that uh, somebody is suddenly good again. And a change of scenery is a very easy thing to put a lot of stock into. Uh, what do you mm-hmm. think about mm-hmm. about that element? Yeah, so... I think that this big idea of like, okay, I'm going to buy changes if I can give myself a reason to buy it is it's a fun exercise, but it's also a fun exercise of delusion. If you're really, if you want to do that, like (laughs) um, we could, if we want to do this, like we, let's say that um, sometime next week we get a bad Shane Bieber start. Yeah. We could come up with probably some nonsense reason why he's suddenly a terrible pitcher. Right. I, 
when it happens, I want someone to like challenge us to to, to do it just because <laughs> I think it'll be fun. Uh, you know, he had his first start and it's like snow. Well, it's not going to snow every game, but right. like, you know, you, you, you can do that sort of stuff. And like the thing about narrative is that you can choose or not choose to start writing it. Um, there's, there's always that opportunity. Uh, I do think that sometimes like when you start with scenery, you can then get to a more concrete thing okay, he's got a better pitching coaching staff. Right, the Mets right. have not traditionally had a good pe- pe- a pitching coaching staff. Um, and the reason that someone would be good, it, you know, at coaching, pitching, that is they'd make this set of changes that would ha- lead to some different utilization and we'd be able to go look for it. But like just the fact that there is something that could create that doesn't mean that we need to buy it. We have to be diligent. We have to go looking for reasons. And, you know, where I start off here is like, has he made a different choice yet? Well, it doesn't look like he has just yet. Maybe he does later on. Maybe right. the right. Blue Jays tinker with him. Uh, or the stats start to bear out a change that maybe isn't as obvious right now, but we start to see it and then can trace it back and say, yeah, that's been happening this whole time. We just yeah. didn't have the numbers to be able to, to show it over the course of two starts. Um, yeah, so exactly. Yeah. So let's let's uh, get to our central question here, because I think this is really, really, really important. Um, People get very excited when we start the fantasy baseball season and they're jazzed to be active managers and engaged because they haven't had it for a long time. Last year was such a short season. Not everybody got their uh, got their fantasy baseball fix. Um, and so, you know, we're in the first two weeks, we have high stakes leagues, we have, uh, the, you know, leagues like TGFBI and, and tout wars that we are listening to experts are, are putting in their fob bids. And they're, they're talking about that. We're seeing it all over Twitter. And we know that people are making moves in our leagues. Uh, so our central question here today is how do we react appropriately to these small sample sizes so that we are not overreacting or underreacting? And, and we can be smart about the choices that we're making because you can miss a breakout within the first couple of weeks, um, but you can also give up on what's going to become a breakout in the first couple of weeks. Uh, and, and so how do we know what's what and which is which? And obviously, for those of you at home, you know that we're not going to have the magic elixir here. Nobody does. Anybody who says that they do um, is, uh, is not being upfront. Uh, if everybody could, or anybody, I should say, could do that, then they would just be investing all of their money in, in these high stakes leagues and winning and, and go buying an island somewhere. These are, are still baseball games that need to be played. Uh, we're still talking about people uh, and players. Um, but that being said, there are maybe some ways that we can try and nuance some things out. So that's what we're going to try and talk about today. Um uh, Alexander, I'm going to turn it over to you and let you kind of pick. Where do you want to start? Do you want to start with a player? Do you want to start with maybe uh, like a a subset question of our central question? So, yeah, I, I want to start with like an answer to the question that is not really a very fulfilling answer. Um, and I, I think that like if we're trying to figure out like how do I react, I think that question of like, okay, how how was my or how how is my information changed? Like, what do right. I know now that I did not? previously know is really really important so like if i'm i'm actually going to pick up a player here to help us out and i think that's going to be tyler naquin because i think a lot of things have changed with him he's mm-hmm. also been really added uh and i think he's really interesting to talk about also just because he was in the outfield last year for cleveland and cleveland's outfield was bad so it's just yeah. kind of funny to think that he's been like electric uh, yeah. to start the year so i think there are a handful of different things that can change for a player going into year i talked first about like changes and choices right 
So um, there's a really good going deep uh, that just went up on the PL site uh, by Kyle Horton about Naquin. Uh, the big like takeaway from that piece is that mm-hmm. Naquin basically just changed his approach a little bit. He, uh, you know, changed how his stance worked also, but like also he's just swinging less. Yeah. Uh, and Naquin was always a guy who just like swung way too much. Hit the ball hard when he hit it, uh, but was kind of wild. So he didn't walk and he swung out. He struck out a lot. But when he made contact, the contact was good. Uh, and so far this year, he's been swinging less. He's been striking out a little bit less. He's been walking more and the contact's still been good. Um, so there's a choice he's made. He's also been kind of uh, afforded a slightly different opportunity than we thought he would yes. going into the year. Yep. We thought he'd be the fourth outfielder. Well, Winker and Sunzel have been like trading off who's been out of the up- lineup for different reasons. <laughs> yeah, right sort of think that might continue if we're not careful uh so we saw a whole lot of playing time so that's a sort of choice uh yep. we also saw like he was slotting in as the leadoff spot there for a couple of days yeah. uh, when yep, he yep. was playing those are things that we could have seen before and those are like an on off switch sort of change um that we can believe will probably sustain themselves uh people's swing rates are really stable within a season once someone's made that decision yeah. It tends to stick. Now, maybe he changes his mind at some point, but with the results as good as they are, I would assume that Tyler Naquin is going to continue to swing about 50% of the time instead of about 60% of the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, there are some other things that we could like potentially look to to answer a question like this. Has his talent changed? And uh, we'll get more into this, but the big answer here is just going to be a huge shrug emoji uh, yeah. because there's just <laughs> no way we're going to know that here in like the middle of April. Right, um, right, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, with really anybody, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So especially somebody who's younger and and maybe is more likely to be able to make those changes, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you're not talking about a somebody who's been a journeyman who's 31. It's probably not completely changing their approach. Somebody who's a little younger and, in, in, again, a new organization who might have a different philosophy or, or a, a different approach. We're not privy to those clubhouse conversations. So that's the other piece that I guess maybe I was talking about a little bit with Matt's is we might not see the data. We might not see a change in, in uh, location. or But if there is a difference in approach where the pitch mix isn't different, but the times that he's throwing them might be different. And that's a conversation that happened with a pitching coach in a bullpen. We're not going to know about that unless the beat reporter happened to hear it or, or, you know, they're telling them about it. So there are possibilities for those kinds of things to be happening. Yeah. Now, when I say talent, I I think I want to like make sure that we really try to figure out how we can draw the line there because like, you know, when we talk about things like someone's strikeout rate tends to be really stable and we'll go back to that again over and over, I think. Right. Um, Part of strikeout rate is choices. Um, yep. You can choose to strike out less. Uh, you can sacrifice power to do it. That's the idea. Yeah. You know, you can choke right, up right. on your bat and just like, I want to get the ball in play. And you can strike out less. Um, Joey Gallo does not make that choice, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> um, Tyler Naquin has, uh, I don't think he's made that choice necessarily. He's been kind of swinging really hard a lot throughout his career. I, I'd be kind of curious to know if anything's changed for him. Uh, and we'll, probably track that and come back and look at him later on in the year because like i've picked him up a couple of weeks now yeah because uh, i'm curious right um i i i'm i'm often a person who's willing to gamble on people who have like flipped these switches because i just kind of want to watch them um <laughs> yeah definitely so yeah. this actually brings me to a different question and, and this is just a legitimate curiosity i'd love your feedback on this 
you know, as these players are coming up through systems, a lot of times the the organizations are are kind of pushing them towards those, you know, the the swing hard and and it's okay if you strike out more and and sacrifice extra strikeouts for power and the three true outcome thing. I wonder as players progress and give that a shot, um, you know, if if it doesn't totally work for them, whether we're going to start to see this a little bit more with the younger guys that that it works a little bit for them through the minors, they get to the majors, it's not working as well, and they make that small adjustment back to putting putting the ball in play a little bit more, almost a pushback against that three true outcome to try and and stay relevant. Yeah, I I feel like different like teams teach people to make those trades more and less successfully right um but you know it's it's really hard to predict i tend to find that a a lot of the guys that uh that i love do tend to be those extreme players who Mm -hmm. really do swing for the fences yeah Um, but there is a big difference in doing that when you are Miguel Sano and when you are not. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. That's, I guess that's what I'm getting at. Some guys are going to be able to do that and really make a career out of it. And I think other guys might actually be shortchanging their ability to be a major league player um, if they do that because they might actually be better at doing like what Arise does. Yeah. And, and I think that kind of like actually leads me back into like the discussion of like different types of talent that I think that like if I'm looking for changes that people actually might pick up on. Um, so like, obviously like how hard you get the ball is like a, a type of talent. Right. Right. Uh, but there are some other ones that are like pretty important too, like your ability to recognize different pitches. I would yeah. consider that a skill. Um, how fast your run is obviously a skill, how well you can control the bat as you think swing through the zone. You know, like, there are changes in uh, people's stances and things like that, that will actually affect like what they would demonstrate as their skill. Uh, and those sorts of ways, but those are like really like, weird hanging in the air mystical things like what is talent well i mean as far <laughs> right. as i care your talent is what you get out of it um i tend to find a lot of these tools conversations just really mind-numbing because like i don't really care what someone's raw, raw power is in a batting practice unless right. i'm betting on the home run derby um, yeah. <laughs> so you know i'm really curious to know like is tyler naquin's change in his stance allowing him to see the ball better is he being more focused because he's like moving around less? It, you know, is his bat playing a little bit better? Is the fact that it's staying upright and not moving mean he's more reliably controlling it through the zone? Those right. are all questions that maybe we could answer later on in the season. Um, I think the pitch recognition thing is really important for young guys and trying to see if they're getting better at not guessing and like actually making solid like reads on what's coming out of the pitcher's hands and swinging appropriately, yeah. not being fooled. You know, but those are all different types of talent that people can develop. We're not going to catch them all that quickly, I don't think. Um, but, you know, some people are going to guess correctly off of a guy who has been semi-successful and is s- suggesting that maybe a change has come. Some people definitely won a lot of money or just embarrassed a lot of their friends in past years doing <laughs> those sorts of things. I remember Cattell Marte just out of nowhere suddenly becoming better at both sides of the plate and uh, becoming yep. like, a, like a 950 OPS guy against both so, like on both sides, this is what Twitter. Just like right. crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I don't think at the end of the day you could have reliably guessed it was going to happen coming into the season. I don't think you could have reliably guessed it within the window which you had to pick him up. And I think that's a really important place right. to kind of land some of this conversation is that like we're going to be wrong because there's like a third piece of things that can change, and that's your luck changing. Um, Right, and right. that makes it really hard for us to tell sometimes. Uh, now, there are some really obvious signs that your luck has changed that we can kind of use. 
uh, both for guys we know and for guys we don't and kind of like use that to kind of like, like, I don't know, use it like, um, like a filter to like mm-hmm. feed out like the guys that are doing something that's really extreme in some funny ways. But, you know, at the end of the day, like, it's really hard to control for that and figure out exactly what's going on. So like, you know, some things in terms of luck are just, you know, going to go away, obviously. Uh, I think as of our recording, both Senzel and Winker are healthy again. And yeah. I think Naquin might sit a couple times this week if we're not careful. Yeah. Now, do I like that? No. Um, I think that they should move Senzel to the infield and uh, probably bench Jonathan India. <laughs> That's my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> India has um, been doing okay too, at least getting on base. He's not lighting the world on fire, but he is, he is getting on, on base. Um, so let's, let's, uh, if we can for a moment, summarize the broad strokes and then maybe take those broad strokes and talk about just some more players, because I think that there's a lot of players that people are interested in, um, some hot names. Uh, but the broad strokes here is it sounds like there's, there's about three different things that could be changing to make somebody better. Uh, and two of them are, are, or worse, right. Or worse. Uh, two of them are nearly impossible to be able to tell in a small sample size that would be somebody just got better at something mm-hmm. it's it's talent very change. hard to be able to see a talent change within a two to three week sample um and luck obviously is not something we're going to quantify per se although I we actually have some think, i want to push back here luck is much easier to quantify than talent okay and that's fair but again in a two weeks uh standpoint we we might have a tougher time discerning whether somebody is having a lucky streak good or bad or not so maybe that's like a half we'll give it a half how about that so one and a half things we might be able to to reach into out of three uh and the one that's the most obvious is something that has been uh you know a choice a decision has been made i'm going to change my approach i'm going to change my pitch mix um my coach has told me to do something different i'm changing my mechanics something that's demonstrable easy and and documented Oh, and I want to fit something else into that category, which is that my coach has changed his mind about something. You know, right, I'm hitting yeah. in a different lineup spot. I'm starting every day. Those sorts of choices that someone else has made that are affecting how well I am performing, especially in the fantasy world. Like, yeah, playing time is often huge. underrate. Yeah, like, <laughs> like where you are in a batting order is huge. The yeah, number of yeah. at bats you're going to get over the course of a season because of your spot, the number of RBI opportunities, the number of opportunities to score a run, all yeah. of those things, huge factors. Uh, mm-hmm. so those are very, those, those are things that are easy to see. If you're yep. reading the news, if you're, if you're listening to people, if you're, you know, uh, following people on Twitter, you're going to see those things. It's easy to point to that and say, okay, that makes sense. He will score more runs because now he's leading off every day. Mm-hmm. Um, the other ones are a little bit more fuzzy. Uh, mm-hmm. I am very interested to hear what you have to say about being able to use some metrics and some math to kind of, uh, hedge your bet on the luck piece. I think that's really mm-hmm. interesting. So maybe that's where we should start with a, a case study, a specific player. So um, I'm because I'm just as curious as the people at home to hear what, what's coming next. Uh, I'm going to let you pick the player that you think best exemplifies this discussion in terms of uh, metrics and luck. Okay. So I want to talk about two guys uh, with line trade rate that are actually really, really owned in a lot of leagues. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or, or rostered, I should say. Um, I want to talk about um, Freddie Freeman. And Jose yep. Altuve. Uh, okay. Jose Altuve has been off to a torrid start. And a big part of that is his line drive rate. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember when I was like first starting to love baseball, um, I was watching like a Rangers game. And those are two things are not related, I should say. I remember <laughs> seeing like Ian Kinsler just hitting a bloop single over like the shortstop's head. And I was thinking mm-hmm. to myself, man, people should just do that every time. 
Yeah, right. The thing about that is it's really hard to just hit the ball where the defense isn't reliably. Yes. Line drives are a big part of that. Line drives are exceptionally correlated to how well you perform, and they are really, really, really fluky, and people cannot do them reliably. There are a couple guys in the league like Freddie Freeman who have made a career out of really, really higher than average line drive rates, Mm -hmm. kind of looking like they have that skill. Uh, Freddie Freeman has like a a sub 10% line drive rate right now, (laughs) and uh, Jose Altuve's is like over 40%, uh, which is much higher than where he was last year. Uh, He had an awful season last year, largely driven by poor line drive rate. Um, If you're wondering if the player that you're looking at has been lucky, that is the first thing I'm looking for. Okay. Uh, because, you know, somewhere in the mid 20s, uh, anywhere really between about 22 and 32%, honestly, like you can say that like it, they've been a little bit lucky, but their regression probably isn't going to be too dramatic. But once you get someone who creeps toward 40 or yeah. really south of like about 20%, you can expect that things are going to change. There's mm-hmm. just nothing that a player has probably done to really deserve that unless they've just been completely lost to the plate. Now, have are they playing Jose injured or you know, some? Yeah, other... actually, that's probably a, yeah. a, a good, th- good thing to say. Like, yeah, maybe something else has happened, but like, yeah, a, a normal MLB player is not going to conceivably have a ten percent line drive rate. Um, yeah, it's just not going to happen. And here we have like people who are really good who have those sorts of numbers. Um, so you know, these can all change within a course of a couple days. But that's like obviously the first thing I'm going to look at. So like when you know, someone like Yerman Mercedes com- comes up and just like tears all sorts of records apart. Yeah. I went and looked at his. His actually hasn't been too high. Uh, he's been doing some other things really well. Um, mainly not striking out. So, like, just want to say, like, <laughs> that that as a luck test, like, yes, Mercedes has probably been lucky, but it hasn't been line dried. Just want to, like, make sure I get that out really quickly because I remember looking at him being surprised. <laughs> Let's circle back but, to him because I think that's a big name. So, I yeah, think that's something we, we should definitely we talk about. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's, like, the first test I'm looking for. Um, the other things that I'll often be looking for, uh, if I'm looking to see if someone's kind of been lucky in some ways... Uh, you know, I want to see if someone's been lucky in terms of who they've faced. And this is like yep. a really particular thing for especially right-handed players. Um, um, right now, it looks like in the AL West, like the almost the entire Mariners rotation and a good chunk, I believe, of the A's rotation are all right-handed or all left-handed, I should say. So mm-hmm. there are some righties or, yeah, I, I think like the, the San Francisco Giants have mostly been facing lefties so far. So like you're counting stats and your performance might be just really biased by just getting some really good matchups over and over again Mm -hmm. so that's the thing to look out for um oddly just like i want to say totally in the opposite direction of this like for the first like six or seven games of the season like um the houston astros faced a huge number of lefties again they were facing like these same teams and um kyle tucker who is left-handed and was facing his like bad side platoons was still like tearing the cover off the ball (laughs) yeah Uh, so that's a that's good really thing good sign for him yeah really <laughs> yeah. good sign so for like him. yeah so like those are sorts of things where it's just like he had no control over it and you know altuve should say right-handed batter for the astros facing a lot of lefties had a really high high, high drive rate, and that's going to be a part of the reason why he had like close to a 400 obp through like a week and a half right so right. those are just like really obvious extreme big name guys who are really really out there but, you know, if, if you're trying to figure out if someone else is sitting in a similar place, it's something to look for. Um, another guy who has been really big name, Akil Badu, he's sitting at like a 31.3% line drive rate. Yeah. Now, he's got some other stuff that seems like it's a little bit out of whack, but that's a little bit high. Um, his uh, his whiff rate and his strikeout rate seem like they're a little bit out of sorts right now. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Now, those can be out of sorts, but, you know, you might expect that he might strike out a little bit more in future days and also be a little bit lucky with where his balls are um, landing in future days. I'm still excited about, about him. But yeah, like, yeah, yeah. These are things to look for and to watch let, and to see let, how they change over time. Let me ask you this. Um, as you're bringing up something about, let's say, Altuve, and he's he's facing a lot of lefties. That's going to help him, right? He's a right-handed batter. That's going to help him. So he might regress in terms of his line drive rate, but if he is able to do what he's doing against left-handed pitching, that's still a good sign, right? I mean, if it, the rate itself is maybe not sustainable in terms of a season, but is that something that's perhaps sustainable against uh, these circumstances, which he will encounter more than maybe the average player because of the division that he's in? Yeah, so like, so here, here's the way I would look at this. So Altuve's, for example, strikeout rate has like gone back to like 10%. That'd be like a career best for him. That's driven because he's facing a lot of hand, left-handed pitching. He's going to face a lot of left-handed, left-handed pitching. Ooh. Um, <laughs> and that, that will kind of keep up. That's something to watch. Um, it'll probably won't keep up to the level we've seen it. But right, yeah, I would still right. suggest that like if the average team is going to face like 70 to 75% righties, the Astros will sit in like the 60s, 60% righties or something yeah, right, like that right. is my guess. Um, well, so I guess like, my yeah. point is like there's two ways to get to an average. Well, there's lots of ways to get to an average, but let's talk <laughs> about two specific ways to get to an average. One is you could be average against everybody. So you could have your 22% line drive rate against everybody and you're going to have a 22% line drive rate. If if Altuve is going to have a twenty two to twenty four percent line drive rate this year, that that's probably something you'd sign up for, I would imagine, right? Oh, so I, I should say, let's just give some like bearings here. Um, yeah, twenty five is about average. Thirty okay. is above average. Twenty is below average, right? Okay, so um, I was a little miscalibrated. So let's say it's it's yeah. twenty eight. Let's say it's twenty eight percent, thirty twenty eight to thirty percent for him. He could do that against everybody. And and be there and be above average, and it would be a, a big increase over last year, if I'm not mistaken. Um, or you can be 22% against some of the league and 40% against other parts of the league. So I, I, at the very least, it doesn't, this doesn't mean he's going to have a 40% line drive rate for the year. That would, that would be crazy. But if he's able to have a 40% line drive rate against lefties or under these circumstances, and he can repeat that in the pockets where he's facing these, these, uh, left-handed pitchers then it does bode well for the the likelihood that his season numbers will be higher because they'll be pulled the average will be pulled by by these 40% performances um i like i wouldn't bet on his numbers being really high against lefties we're not going to be able to predict it it's like the other things like his general performance is going to be better against lefties Right. So, like, right. Uh, I do think that um, there are going to be, like, a confluence of factors that probably do bring his strikeout rate down from last year. I do think that, you know, now that he's off to a hot start, it's already in his pocket for, like, his season-long stats. So, like, you could probably just guess that, like, he's not going to have as bad of a season as he did last year. Now, I should also say, like, in Altuve's case, like, there's a little bit of like the small samples are always crazy thing. That was a funny thing is like, you know, his playoffs are good last year, right? Mm-hmm. After his regular season was bad. So like, yeah, yeah. I think that's like an interesting case of like, um, we can really set our priors in some like really inaccurate ways. And we've got to just got to like make sure we're learning the right lessons over and over again. Um, so maybe it's not quite an amazing thing that he's doing what he's doing now. It's just good that he's not, 
performing poorly. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a really good takeaway uh, is like if he was um, striking out a lot against lefties, yeah. that would be bad. If right, he was right. struggling to hit the ball hard against lefties, that would be bad. He's way overperforming from what we would expect from the season long because he's been in good circumstances. So we shouldn't expect him to like play to that level, but we can conclude, you know, probably not hurt and things are probably going pretty well from him. And like, you know, if, if you're one of those, like I'm permanently going to fade the Astros because I believe they were cheating way more than the rest of the league. Like um, <laughs> either a, they found yet another way to cheat uh, or B, you know, it wasn't actually helping, which is a whole side conversation, but there seems to be some evidence that uh, they uh, didn't actually benefit a whole lot from like the whatevers because, uh, you know, it just wasn't that helpful in uh, it, it took away from like some of their other baseball skills. That's like that's the going theory. OK, so, that, that would be something interesting to explore because I, I definitely have had the impression that they were they were able to better perform, at least in moments, maybe not over the course of an entire year, but in moments because of what they were doing. But um, yeah, I know, think we can, that's probably true. Yeah, we can, we can certainly save that for a different discussion. Why don't we, um, if we could, let's pick one more player. And if you don't mind, uh, go with a, a pitcher. Is that, uh, is that something we can do? And sure. Talk a little bit about small sample size of pitchers because pitchers' sample sizes are even smaller. When you're talking okay. the first few weeks, you're talking about two to three games. Okay. Um, so again, if we're kind of like trying to figure out, uh, some pitchers that, um, have made some like tangible choice changes, um, I feel like there's some really easy guys and there's some really difficult guys. I want to first just say like, if you're trying to talk about relievers, I'm just going to laugh and walk away because I don't know anything about relievers <laughs> yet. They've all pitched like three innings. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it's, there's some, been some starters who have made some tangible choices that are different. Uh, Tyler Glasnow added a slider that he's throwing like a ton of the time. And, um, and is pretty good. It's pretty good. Yeah, pitch. I would say that Tyler Glasnow has been <laughs> maybe better than he has ever been over uh-huh. his first three starts, which is ridiculous to say because he was very good. Pitching. Right. Um, and so notably, Nick didn't move him up on the list uh, in the afternoon before his third start this week. Mm-hmm. So he did the list Monday afternoon. Glasnow goes out and strikes out 14 Texas Rangers um, <laughs> later that evening. Uh, does that really count? Questionable, uh, but still. Uh, <laughs> and I, I think there's a lot of like that bleeds into both a choice and a talent question. He's yep. chose to add a third pitch. And the difference between two and three pitches is huge. Um, yes. It's yes, really, yes. really important to have three pitches that you can offer uh, that you won't be able to rely on all three of them in any given game. Uh, we've already seen at least one game where Glasnow wasn't able to rely on a slider. What did he do? He threw his curveball a little more. Yeah. His curveball's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he's made a choice, and it's been, so far, a not terrible choice. And we can just use that as, like, a probably we can change how we evaluate when we see him. Now, we will have to figure out whether or not that slider is going to be good long-term. Will opposing teams plan for it? I don't know how you right. plan for that thing. <laughs> yeah, it's... <laughs> Like, but they'll get video and they'll get I mean, they'll get a chance to yeah, dissect yeah. it and look at it. if there is a weakness they'll find it right yeah, i mean yeah, that's kind of the that's idea worth, that's worth noting it's like a lot of these choices people make people adjust back um right i remember i, I mean i've i've dug into a lot of ian hap stats throughout the past <laughs> year or so because i really like ian hap because he's like um all of the other big daddy hackers that i like except he can also play center field um <laughs> and like in 2019 he came back from the minors, he uh, he was swinging less, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so what did pitchers do? Well, they changed how they pitched him. 
Right. Um, they started throwing more in the zone. Well, guess what? <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, he uh, he took advantage of that. Um, swinging less has its advantages sometimes. Um, as a pitcher, you know, the same sorts of things happen, though. It, it Batters are going to change in what they do. They might swing less if you're throwing less out of the zone. Same sort of concept. Right. So, uh, you know, for Glasnow, it's, it's a much more complicated example. Uh, we're going to have to continue to watch. But there is a given reason to watch. He has made a choice. So when right. we get back to that earlier thing that you brought, like narrative driving change, I think we can replace the word narrative with like it's like an on-off switch choice. Has someone chosen to do something differently that prompts us to pay attention? So Glasnow is an obvious example. Yeah. Right. Um, now, if we want to go look for pitchers who have just been lucky, um, you know, just just go and get a list of all of the pitchers in the MLB and just pick a dart up and just throw it. <laughs> Pretty good chance you're going to hit someone who's been lucky in some way so far. <laughs> there's been a lot of good pitching early on. There's been a yes. lot of yeah, a lot been. of really good pitching and, and not from people that you would expect. Let's talk about maybe somebody who's always been kind of on the cusp, but... Um, and then we can we can move on from this discussion. I know I said one more, and, and I'm bringing up somebody else. Why, but, why just one? Uh, <laughs> uh, I'd like to hear your thoughts on on what Freddie Peralta has been able to do because he um, he's a I don't I find him to be very particularly interesting in what he's been able to accomplish. Um, he had flashes, he had struggles. He's been very very good, um, and he is working with a team full of people who are very very good. So. Um, is it possible that he has actually made a choice or done something different or is gripping the ball in a different way and we don't necessarily know? Or is it is it just kind of have him for now and hope that he stays hot? So he has definitely made some choices that are different. Let's let's be clear. Uh, so has his team also. So he's right. tried to be a starter a couple of times now. And most of them have been unsuccessful for um, lack of secondary offerings uh mm -hmm. in 2020 his primary pitch was technically a slider um he's always thrown his pardon me i'm looking at the wrong thing here i'm looking at vertical movement because i'm i'm dumb let me try that again <laughs> i wouldn't i wouldn't say you're dumb that's just an honest yeah. mistake okay yes there we go yeah so <laughs> he's always been like a pretty much just fastball guy uh, with like 20 percent something else um in 2020 he started to add a slider but, you know, it was mostly curveball as a secondary pitch. And this year, his slider is, like, legitimately his second offering. And it's been, like, 50% fastball and then, like, 40% slider. He is a mm. different pitcher than he was yeah. in previous years in some ways. Yep. Now, like, I think this is just kind of like a, how can a dude just add a slider and it's nuts out of nowhere? Well, if you can throw hard and you can put spin on the ball and you're good at learning, like, you can add a new pitch and it can be yeah, good right. Away, right? Glasnow. And and like I, I guess to my point, there are people around him that are going to be able to help him, not just the pitching yes, coach. There you go. That, that that's a good that's a good way to look at this as well. So yeah, he looks like a different pitcher, right? Yeah. Um now there are gonna be some other things that are still an issue. He if you're like a pitcher who has issues with command, you add a new pitch that that issue with command might not go away. Because those issues come from things that are beyond just like your pitch grip, right? They come from like how you throw the ball all of the time, your mechanics. And mm -hmm. I think Peralta has some issues with like lack of repeatable mechanics. If I if I if I can remember correctly, I don't know. He's not a really tall guy. He's only five eleven. Um mm. and it tends to be that the really, really tall guys, because like those long, lanky arms have a yeah, hard time yeah. like doing the same thing over and over again. Same thing happens in basketball, actually. It's like the shooters with shorter arms tend to be better shooters hmm. right that's interesting um, i mean it makes sense now that you say it out loud yeah but, shorter level yeah. right um so just so yeah there, there's a lot going on here but you know so far he's got a 47 uh, percent strikeout right 
and a 18% walk rate. Um, I will let you bet on whether or not those are going to stick. Uh, do you want to guess what his line drive rate is here as of April 13th? Okay. Um, I'm going to guess it's 11. It is 11. Nice. Hey, I finally got one. And right on. <laughs> genuinely shocked. Where's, where's Bob Barker? I need my, my money for getting <laughs> the number exactly right. <laughs> I, I'm shocked here. Yeah. No. So he's going to regress in some really weird yeah. ways. And we yeah, yeah, do yeah. not know where those cards are going to fall just yet. Now, um, the, the interesting point, though, is that if he regresses to a, a, like a league average, he's still probably going to be okay. It's a matter of whether he regresses significantly or if it's in all of those categories, right? He's going to have to maintain something that's above league average, obviously, to be better than league average. Yeah. So, so yeah. So here, here's some other, like, these are all situational. I want to make sure I prompt that ahead of time, right? So right now, his chase contact rate is way, way, way down from, like, last year. 30% mm-hmm. of the, his pitches out of the zone that people are swinging at have been contact so far. So that's a lot of whiffs on the chases out of the zone. Right. His chase rate isn't exceptionally high, only 25%, which is down from his like high 20s from previous years. Um, and he's technically throwing slightly more in the zone than he had last year. But all this is to say, like, he's a new guy, basically. Yeah. He's well, I guess my things. point was like, if People his line drive, changes. yeah, if his line drive rate normalizes a oh, little yeah, bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. but his, his slider is still super nasty and he's getting, he increases the whiff rate or the chase rate or, that he can still even in some of these categories, he can come back to earth a little bit and still be very, very good. If, if there's a demonstrable change that is, is going to result in, um, you know, missing bats, uh, or, or whatever the case might be. Um, obviously if a pitcher comes back to average in every category, then they're just an average pitcher. So I just wanted to <laughs> <laughs> yeah, clarify yeah. what we, I was getting. We at might there. ask ourselves like, which one of these things are going to be the most likely to change though? Yeah. Um, and Regression in line drive rate is way more likely than regression in strikeout and walk rate. Mm-hmm. Typically, I'm sure, that, I'm sure this is a question people have been kind of like hoping we would answer all, all episodes. It's like, when can I trust that the sample's not small? I like yeah, that when voice. Does that happen? Never heard yeah. that before. We're going to have to bring that, that person back. <laughs> a recurring yeah, character. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. So strikeout rate, uh, typically, like, we're talking about, like, you can start to like look seriously at someone's strikeout rate at like a hundred batters faced mm. uh, which for a pitcher might be like five starts and yeah. you know you know and the returns get smaller over time but like after like seven or eight starts you should start to believe that someone's strikeout rate is pretty close to who they are for a walk mm-hmm. rate it's just slightly more than that um really interesting finding that i had from last year is that someone's hard hit per pa um normalized faster than walk rate Mm. um so, so the, maybe the that's a place people like, should be looking now yeah, yeah yeah we can start to look for that actually we, yeah here um i would say i'm like almost certainly going to write about like hard hit per pa like standouts uh sometime in the middle of may because that's like like clockwork when we're gonna start to trust it yeah um and but like so far early in the year like man, it, it's gonna be a little bit funky one way or another well, everything uh, at two weeks in is going to be super funky. But if that's if that's the thing that you're starting to look at now, and you can compare uh, adjustments to that, uh, sorry, uh, you can compare adjustments to that. By the time May hits, when it's reliable, that's going to be easier than something that's going to take another two, three weeks, four weeks beyond that to to stabilize. Yeah, and I, and I should just just kind of give as a reminder to people like the reason I prefer the per PA thing there for pitchers, um, especially if we're kind of looking forward is that if you're just looking at like hard hit only on contact well like 
yet the dudes who like strike out or walk a lot of guys are barely giving up any contact at all and we have to account for that um also the people who tend to strike out more are often going for the strikeout so they might as a part of their baked in risk give up a few um bombs along the way whereas mm-hmm. the guys who are pitching to contact they give up just as many bombs you just don't notice it because they're not gunning for the strikeout in the same way yeah, and, yeah like yeah. The, the samples look differently so that's the whole thing the same way. yeah 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 but like still like i found then like the when i ran some it's called chrome box alpha regression this is the thing i did mm. um mm-hmm. uh, it's the same thing that uh alex fast did when he was checking out like when we construct csw rates okay. a lot of people use it for a lot of other stuff uh yeah we can start to trust that um here about the same time we would trust walk rate or a little bit earlier six seven eight starts oh um so that's good yeah, that's, actually I mean, that, that'll be one of the first things we can use to try and make good decisions yeah. about players yeah it's interesting there there are contact stats we can trust early it, i think it's just a matter of like you have to be willing to know that they're going to be like a little bit silly the general rule basically for that if you're looking for things is like the things that happen more often become reliable faster so hard hit happens a lot during a game relatively speaking like a quarter of all plate appearances yield a hard hit ball Mm -hmm. um a quarter of all plate appearances yield the strikeout like 10 percent of all plate appearances yield a walk whereas for home runs it's like a really really tiny number so home run rate Mm -hmm. doesn't normalize Uh, barrel rate doesn't normalize barrels are actually really wonky people don't think they are because they're this cool stat cast stat but no they're unreliable actually in quite a few ways forward-looking statistics shouldn't be baking them in all that much people have been doing it it's yeah, a yeah, way yeah. to actually be less reliable than you'd think so if you're just trying to think like what stats should i be looking for to trust per pitch statistics you know like chase rates and like swing rates and stuff like that in general um those are going to normalize quicker because they happen a ton and they're also driven yeah. by choices which are going to make them really stable really fast that's another part of it. So, yeah. So, I mean, know. sample size playing a role, right? If you're going to have a pitcher who doesn't play as many games, you got to look at something that's going to give you a larger sample size sooner rather than games. You're going to want to look at something that's more uh, discreet, like, like an at bat or number of pitches, maybe even right. Yeah, if you yeah. look at, yeah. Okay. That makes yeah, a lot of sense. Yeah. That's a, it's a, re- it's a really easy to follow and easy to apply in your own line of logic. So like, you know, even if you're not dealing with someone who's just as, wackadoodle as freddie peralta has been to use a technical <laughs> term there um you know the same ideas are going to apply all right so i think that we we've really hit on on what we we're trying to talk about there with the uh the central question um and we're, we're going to circle back to this throughout the year and check in on those things and i think a good time to do that it sounds like would be in uh a few weeks we can start looking at that the per plate apparent stuff and and start making really I shouldn't say really good decisions, but more meaningful ones, at least more informed. Um, let's try and squeeze in both of our pass fail and off the book segments here at the end. We can do pass fail pretty quickly. Um, and uh, what I'd like to talk about for that is uh, the the trend here. It started last year as a way to try and get COVID games done. Um, and it's continuing this year as well. And that's the seven inning double header. Um, are you giving those seven inning double headers a pass or a fail? You know, I I don't hate them. And um, I think that that's kind of part of my broader basic, like, opinion about baseball, that, like, it's really fun when something dramatic is happening. And that one of the things that the MLB can choose to do uh, in order to make baseball more exciting is to um, try to make sure we're pushing the game towards, like, stressful situations. 
Mm. How can we more reliably create like highlight reel situations? And like, yeah, like 475 foot foot home runs. Pretty cool. Um, But I think like if I'm going to choose to pick up my phone and like watch a moment of baseball, it's going to be because, you know, someone's got like um, their best pitcher up to on the mound and like some good pinch hitter or some a good hitter yeah, in general yeah, yeah. with people on base the thing about seven inning double headers is um because the game's a little bit shorter um people are more likely to like actually you know play some of their better players and yeah that rest is good also just like i, mean, I know it only shaves off like four innings uh in total but like <laughs> that just means like your bullpen doesn't get totally fried yeah a thing i've noticed though is they've done a really good job of schedule uh, scheduling these double headers like before rest days so like the um the Nats and uh the Braves had a doubleheader like in the first week for the Nats and there's a rest day the next day and both of them used like all of their bullpens but it meant that there weren't these like huge terrible effects the next day so yeah, still, yeah. I, I think it's like it's good for health um the games tend to be um you know like shorter games being closer games I think tend, tends to be a cool mm. thing so like yeah, yeah. you know you that get some, sense though both of those games were close i think the braves won both of them but um you know we we got two really interesting endings to games um and you know i think all told it's fine like two innings of regular season baseball is not that big of a deal um one way or another and yeah i don't think anyone should have that strong of opinion about it so for me i i i don't mind it at all from a baseball standpoint i actually think it's kind of neat i think it's kind of a cool quirky thing um most people aren't watching a full nine innings of a single game uh, anyway. So I don't have a problem with that. From a fantasy standpoint, though, I do think it, it can be very problematic, um, especially if you're in like a quality starts league. Uh, I just tweeted about this yesterday um, in terms of, you know, what is the likelihood that a pitcher is going to go six when there's only seven to get through, um, especially early in a season? I'm not really sure that you're going to be able to count on on those quality starts. And again, the the league and the teams don't care about my fantasy team. I get that. Um, so yeah. I would I would split this in terms of pass fail. I think it's a, a pass for the game because it also it helps get the games in. It gets them in sooner. You're not waiting until August potentially for a makeup game that got rained out yesterday. Um, and uh, as you pointed out, they're doing it in a way that's not it's not really um, killing teams in terms of their ability to then play out the rest of the week. From a fantasy standpoint, though, I think it's um, maybe something if it's going to be uh, a new regular thing, maybe it's something that we need adjustment to. And maybe it forces us into finding better things than than wins and quality starts. But even yeah. in, in in those leagues that have moved to innings pitched as a as a kind of a, a bridge or a, or a you know, a, I don't know, a, a kind of a stopgap solution there. That's still going to be impacted too, because there's there's four less innings in those double headers than there would normally be for a pitcher to get those innings pitched. Somebody was going to pitch them, right? So if you're going on an innings pitched league, so maybe it's going to force us. Maybe it'll turn out to be a really good thing, is that and then it'll force us to find better categories that we probably should have anyway. Um, yeah. All right, let's let's move into our off the books here real quick. We've got like five minutes to devote to this. Uh, but it's very interesting, and I think maybe we'll use this as off the books, but also a teaser for an upcoming episode where we can dive into this a little bit more, especially as we have more data and the sample size increases and we get to those uh, stabilized numbers where we can really talk about this. But that's the new ball 
Um, and we talked a little bit about this before the season started in terms of uh, it being kind of an unjuiced ball and that it was going to impact uh, people's abilities who, um, not necessarily the thumpers, uh, the Aaron Judges of the world who hit the ball seven miles, uh, but the Kevin Biggios of the world who hit some fly balls that happened to go out, maybe being impacted. But we're also seeing this almost inverse to what I expected. Maybe it was just me, but inverse to what I expected um, result in that exit velocities are are up and, and guys are hitting the ball harder than they've ever hit them before. Uh, so why don't we uh, talk just a little bit about that? I, I know that you have some some insight into that. Yeah, so the like implications of this are like kind of you gotta have a foot in the door of like caring about statcast to care about it a little bit um but on the surface at least so the data early on in the year has basically been that um yeah like, like you said more often than we previously had been the ball is getting hit really hard um shohei otani again the best baseball player in the world um <laughs> hit the ball 119 miles an hour last night uh, again we're recording this on tuesday it was a double, uh, and we already saw some like interesting takes on like why it is that he was able to do that. Um, mm-hmm. Saw Tom, Tom Tango saying like, yeah, he basically hit the ball in like his perfectly ideal swing plane. Blah blah blah. So it's like, yeah. yeah. Still, I would think at 119, it would have to be. Yeah. Well, he was the fifth person to ever do that. That's just, yeah. That's the thing. <laughs> right. Yeah, like, literally, it's it's him, Gary Sanchez, Aaron Judge, John uh, Carlos Stanton, and uh, Nelson Cruz, who have mm. uh, hit the ball 119 miles an hour. But yeah, that's probably a product a little bit of the ball being built a little bit differently. Yeah. Um, the way that they said they were going to dejuice the ball is basically they were going to make it a little bit heavier. Um, mm-hmm. By a little bit, I really mean like just the tiniest bit heavier. That was, I believe, the way that they said they were going to do that. Now, it seems as though that extra bit of mass to the ball is um, also yielding off the bat some more velocity uh, mm-hmm. because something um i, I think it's like mass how hard can you hit a, something yeah, in there how hard yeah. can you hit a wiffle ball right uh not that hard. yeah right well right. so you make the ball a little bit heavier and i think you can hit it a little bit harder maybe that's it maybe it's something about the seams i would love to get some people who are a little bit more in tune to the exact reasons why it is but like the effect is really clear so far the ball is dying in the air more than it had been pre- previously but it is mm-hmm. coming hotter off the bat so that's like creating this trade-off basically for what a barrel is actually so the mlb yeah. hasn't changed its definition of a barrel year to year but like barrel numbers actually are going to be kind of bad like they're not going to be as useful <laughs> as they used to be um hard hit rate well it's not going to mean as much in the same way i would love to know if there's going to be a different like number than 95 miles per hour that's going to be like when the door opens for your results getting better yeah um i would I would suspect, though, we're also just going to see some, like, hear how this is going to affect people in the league. I would imagine the guys who tend to hit the ball, not into the ground, but, like, who don't sell out for fly balls are going yeah. to have some good results. Because um, you're going to be able to smoke the ball between the uh, shortstop and the third baseman a little bit easier if the ball is going a little bit faster, right? Well, and you might even be able to beat the reaction time of the fielder a little bit easier if it's got yeah, a couple yeah, extra exactly miles an hour. I mean. Yeah, yeah. Plus... Um, you know, if you're hitting the ball uh, over the fence at like a low altitude, you know, you're not giving it a whole lot of time for there to be drag. You're probably yeah. going to see more of like frozen rope home runs this year than you pre- would re- reasonably have seen them like on a full season last year. Um, so you want to talk about players here, like someone like um, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who is famously hits the ball really hard, but doesn't get enough loft. 
you might see him hit for a really high average this year or like yeah. hit more home runs this year. There've been talks about him getting more aloft, but like if he only just gets marginally more aloft and continues to smoke the ball, you might see a really good year from him. He's like kind of exactly the build of a player who like this change was built for. Whereas someone like, um, trying to think like Reese Hoskins, who's like traditionally sold out for fly balls yeah. might be hurt a little bit. Now Hoskins can hit the ball pretty hard. So mm-hmm. maybe he makes a change here and he doesn't get hurt yeah, really badly. approach change. Yeah, but like the people who have been selling out for fly balls have less reason to do that. So it, it's a really interesting way to change the game, create a trade-off where you don't just like nuke one approach without like opening up another one that's really interesting and kind of giving someone like a benefit. Well, so it's like, like changing might... a rule in fantasy, right? I mean, people can complain about the rule, but if you if you if everybody's playing under the same rules, everybody's playing under the same conditions, there's just new ways of exploiting that system, whether Mm -hmm. it's fantasy or whether it's on the field baseball. The one thing that I would uh, ask your opinion on, because I know this is your wheelhouse is the numbers. If I'm trying to do year on year comparisons, it's going to be very difficult, right? We're going to have to do some sort of like uh, standard deviation analysis to be able to try to even come close to making them uh, comparable or meaningful in any way year on year, right? The answer here is to make sure that you have good comparable stats and then to use percentiles. Uh, so yeah. like StatCast gets it mostly right whenever they like give you like here's someone's hard hit rate percentile. The answer still needs to be the like don't use hard hit rate because it's biased and dumb, and just make sure you use like per <laughs> PA stuff. So like, you know, see, uh, like barrels are still going to be broken, but like do someone's barrel per PA or like percentiles, which you can get. Um, you can also it, this is like a, a like a fun sort of like pseudo hack that you can do is if you like basically just run like a savant search for like barrels and then make the denominator pas and you just figure out like okay my sample there are 500 batters and this person is 80th or whatever right you're like okay yeah. what percentile would that be you can do it by hand i do that all the time it's really not and that, that would be great for this year but if you're trying to look for trends it's going to be, oh, it's yeah, gonna be tough, especially for what is... you said barrels take a long time to stabilize normally right yeah. so you can't reach into last year to increase your sample size if if the criteria is different you're going to have to really wait this year until you point. get yeah until you yeah. get to um a, a sample size that's consistent yeah and, and i think that's like we need to like early on in the season cuz like the league wide samples are actually going to be pretty high for balls we actually don't need to play more than like a couple weeks for the games to really know what the ball is and yeah. we'll be able to run those numbers on like what it is and like how it's affecting drag and all it's like, the, the players, results really though, right yeah, it, because I mean, just, when you have you have all these games being played, you have a ton. Your sample size is huge pretty quickly in terms yeah. of batted balls. But if you're talking about batted balls by this guy, that's going to be a much much longer yeah. road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So ideally, what happens is that someone incrementally smarter than me, uh, hopefully a lot of increments, <laughs> uh, goes and figures out um, you know if things like hard hit rate are going to change meaningfully so that we shouldn't care about them. You know, like the, the mechanics behind hard hit rate, the yeah. mechanics behind barrels. And uh, it's not that hard to do. You can still pull all the same data, do the things and be like, okay, what number is it? What number of miles per hour is it? Then we start to care differently. Well, um, I guess the thing is like with a barrel though, if you're, if you're talking about the cutoff being 95, because that was, there was a mathematical cliff, right? Yeah, it was yeah, very yeah. demonstrable. And now that needs to be 97, but it's not you're you're really mucking up your your stat, yeah, yeah. Right? it just makes like the publicly available and easy to use data less helpful well like think about it the other way if all of a sudden they decided that they were going to make the the gate 93 the ball didn't change they're just going to make it 93 instead of 95 we'd have the same problem yeah 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 i 
I think the, the the question is like, we know that things are have always been kind of changing year to year, and we just haven't been acknowledging it, right? Uh, mm. Someone like league wide, I think you can go and check and like barrel rates and hard hit rates and whatever have probably been fluctuating over the past several years for changes to the ball reasons, yeah. um, as well as also to, to say like changes to how pitching is done. People people have been throwing harder progressively for years, and that has just changed things. We haven't been factoring that in for a while. Here mm-hmm. we have way more evidence that's changed a bunch more all at once. And it's right. like, oh yeah, by the way, we haven't been doing this for years and we probably should have been doing it. So like, if you're really statistically inclined, you've always been able to account for this. If you haven't been and you've been relying on like the stat cast UI, mm-hmm. well, you've always been susceptible to those things. So I think right. the question is like, should it dramatically change how we affect these things? It's like, well, we always should have been doubting it a little bit because there's always been holes in their approach. Um, if you want to go pull these things yourself, it's really, really easy to learn. And I'm happy to answer questions about it. And so it's like pretty much yeah. everyone else who loves StatCast, I should say. Yeah, definitely. It's like most people like like me, like I actually love the innovation that it provides. I just wish they had a better public facing like display of the data that they track. Yeah, um, no, that, I'd love to be able to quibble. do to do like a yeah. mailbag of people who who send us questions on Twitter and email us. You know, we're at du- Dugout Study Hall. We always put that at the end of the show. We'll do that again today. Our email is dugoutstudyhall at gmail.com. So please do send us send us questions. We can drop the answers into episodes. Um, the takeaway here, and then unfortunately, we are not just out of time. We are way over time, and that's okay. <laughs> we can let that happen every now and then. Um, but it feels like the takeaway is if you are at home trying to compare a player from this year to last the place to go would be percentile where do they rank versus other people that's going to mm-hmm. give you a better a better sense of um, maybe growth or decline compared to the field than just comparing that player in isolation because the numbers might be a little wonky not only because of small sample sizes but also because of changes um, in in the ball and the way things are working this year yeah, yeah. And like if if you want to like just really quickly hack some of those things, just make sure that someone's like if you want to compare someone's like average exit velocity or hard hit rate, like I don't love those stats. They're still mostly useful a lot of the times. So just make sure someone's strikeout rate hasn't changed like dramatically. If their strikeout mm-hmm. rate and their walk rate's basically the same, then seeing how their percentiles stack up year to year is totally valid. That'll totally work. Yeah. And that's the other thing we don't know yet too is is um how the new ball is affecting pitching quite as much. There's less oh, yeah, that's so many there's questions. less on that. So many questions. So a lot of questions. And that's good for us in our show because that's what we try and do is answer those questions. So we'll be addressing those as the year goes on. That that uh, does bring us to the end of this particular episode. Um, thank you at home for listening. And uh, Alice, could you go ahead and let the people know where they can find us? Well, they can find you on Twitter at the corked mat. I'm on Twitter at chase underscore rate. And most importantly, you can find our podcast on Twitter at Dugout Study Hall, where you can send us some questions. Please be sure to subscribe to the Pitcherlist podcast feed if you haven't done that already. Leave us a good review if you can be so kind. And if you're not already, please consider becoming a PL Plus member so that you can harass us on the PL Discord. And that's it for me. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll catch you next time.